This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss our favorite comics and graphic novels. And on weeks like this, we talk to our favorite creators that are currently making them. Today, we are joined by Eisner Award winning writer Tom King, who is currently working on books like The Human Target, Gotham Year One, and as of last week, Danger Street. How's it going, Tom? Well, uh, what a pleasure to be here. Um, uh, before I start, I just, that's my dog saying hello in the background. Uh, 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 before, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for everything you got. You all do online. It means the most to me. I cannot, uh, I, um, especially, I mean, it's just to be something completely uh, particular and pragmatic. The, what you guys did for Supergirl uh, in promoting that book and putting it forward, <laughs> launched that book. You, 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 your, 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 your store and your effort was the key to that book being, it's, you know, a huge success in trades and getting it in a thousand hands and getting on, none of that would have happened without you. I, I, that's a hundred percent true. Um, it, it goes to show just like what amazing fans can do for a very, very grateful and humble creator. And I just, I, I wanted just to start by saying, thank you. You, you, you really rock. And I appreciate it. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. That's, thank you so much. That's awesome. I'm so, so glad to hear that. We uh, adored Supergirl. Like we love that book. I, I know I was, it, 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 it gave me joy that you, that you were loving it because I, it was, it was a tough book because I, I loved it so much and nobody was buying it. You know, sometimes you're on books like that where I mean, it, it, it's so fine. It wasn't the worst thing, but it, it just, you know, every, you know, the editor and Bilkis and I'd be like, yeah, we, we think we're really making something great. And, you know, just so few people. But then you guys were so vocal about it. I was like, oh, someone is enjoying this book. Eventually, if it gets in the right hands, it will go. And once it hit trade, it got into the right hands. And now it's like full steam ahead, you know, one of one of the uh, best selling books I've ever written. So, yeah, uh, thank goodness for you guys. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm, I'm so, so glad it is. Um, easily my favorite book of the year. It is one of the most beautiful things that I think DC Comics has ever published. I am so grateful to you and to Bilquis and to um, Matthias Lopes for putting together easily one of the most stunning pieces of literature I've ever read in my life. So I'm so glad that we could help in any way push that out there and get people reading this. Oh, well, that's incredibly flattering. What a wonderful way to start a podcast. Yes, of course. Yes. It's the best book. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got to know about that book. What was it like working with Bilquis on that? Because her pencils are incredible. Oh, yeah. I very much remember I was on the book first. And then, you know, they're like, well, you know, this artist or that artist. It was very near the beginning where Jamie Rich was the editor on that book, um, who's now at IDW reached out to me and was like, what do you think of, uh, you know, Bilquis Evely? I was like, what do I think? I, who do I have to kill to get her on this book? I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? And he's like, yeah, I think she might be able to do it. I was like, oh, I was like, 
You know, it's one of those things, as soon as they say the right name, you're like, oh, we could do something special. That's not always true. Sometimes, you know, um, like when I first heard, I mean, no no offense to him because he's a fucking genius. But when I first heard Greg Smallwood, I was like, Greg Smallwood, what? I Like, yeah, his stuff's pretty good. Like, it didn't occur to me that, like, Human Target would be sort of like this art book of the year kind of thing. But I, mm-hmm. with, with, with Bilkis, I immediately kind of knew... Um, that we could elevate this character in an incredible way. And, and she, she's an absolute joy to work with. Um, she, she's, uh, she's, in, I've never met her in person. I, I don't know her at all. I've never seen her. I've seen like, a, I think I've seen one picture of her on Instagram. So I don't even know what she looks like very well. Um, uh, uh, but she lives in, um, she lives in Brazil and she hits deadlines and she puts more lines, you know, than Art Adams into her work. So I mean, <laughs> those two things usually don't go in commons, don't go head to head. So, uh, I, I was grateful to everything she did. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know you are a particularly a huge fan of Supergirl. Yeah. It's, it's Supergirl was one of those books for me where it's like, I've all your, um, your books. I've, when I think about them, I usually think like down to earth, very human characters. And then in Supergirl, you have this huge explosion of just, um, power and strength and the way that you treated Supergirl and the way you treated Superman in Up in the Sky, which is also one of my favorites. I just loved seeing uh, someone who was unafraid to take the characters as far as they'd go. What was that? What's it like? What do you have to like switch in your mind writing a character like, I don't know, like Slam Bradley versus writing a character (laughs) like Supergirl? How did those two, um, how are they different and how are they similar? Well, I mean, I think that's the perfect observation because Supergirl very much evolved from Up in the Sky because Up in the Sky was almost this lark, or like almost like a bet, where mm-hmm. um, the Dio, who was head of DC at the time, came to came to me and said, "We want you to do an extra Batman book for Walmart." And I said, "Oh, I'm, I'm you know I'm so tired of Batman because I'm just doing so much bad." <laughs> I was like, "Can I do Superman and Bendis do Batman?" And he's like, "Sure." It was like the one idea I ever had. So that's how Bendis and I ended up switching, um, and and I got Andy Kubert, who's one you know one of you know, yeah, literally a prince of comics, and his mm-hmm. father was the king. Um, and, and and I was like, I'm doing all this deconstruction bullshit in Batman or whatever. Sad. Or, I was like, I'm just gonna make the Superman book where just every single page is Superman is awesome. That's just all it's gonna be. I, I was like, that, that'll be the theme. There won't be any deepness to this. There won't. I, I mean, I, it just it floods in there. But that was like my idea. I was like, I just want to because this is for a kid at Walmart who picks it up and wants to know Superman is great. Like that's what it was. Um, and so that's what that book was. Like every, you know, it's like Superman wins the race against Flash. You know, as, as Superman uh, rescues the child against all odds. You know, it's 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 just Superman is awesome. So when I first got the Supergirl assignment, I was like, I just want to carry that forward. Where the theme of this book is going to be Supergirl is awesome. That's that's my goal of every issue is is why is Superman why is Supergirl the best? You know, it's it's not the, the theme of um, Gotham Year One is not why is. Br- slam bradley the best you know um <laughs> certainly human target is not why is the human target the best you know like but so so it's, it's a different sort of perspective where my goal is to elevate the character my goal is to be like make her shine um and and, and hopefully i did uh, as my as my wife points out you know um i did I, I kill a little girl on like the third page of up in the sky so it's not the most happiest <laughs> book and um Supergirl has a, has, has, a, has you know a touch of genocide here and there, so again, not the happiest, serious book. <laughs> just but, a smidgen, um, yeah, yeah, just a smidge. A smidge. You, know, you just uh, got to season it a little bit. So, um, so yeah, that that that's that's what I went in. Um, and see, I, I should give a ton of credit to Steve Orlando, 
who had, who had worked on Supergirl earlier, I called mm-hmm. Steve because he had done a run. I was like, "What's the key to this character? Like, what, like what makes what makes her tick?" You know, and so we we talked about it, and he, and he kind of opened my eyes, and probably to the fact that like there was a difference between Supergirl and Superman, and that Supergirl was fourteen when she left Krypton. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot different than, you know, an infant being there and having no memory of it. Supergirl lived that life. Like, she was there when it happened. She she was raised half on that planet and saw it die. Her friends died. Her teachers died. You know, her principal died. Her parents died. And that's a different sort of trauma that makes a different sort of superhero. Mm-hmm. So Steve sort of opened my eyes to, to that aspect of the character, which we, we really embraced and, and ran with in the series, hopefully. I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. It really opened up the character for me, for sure. I always thought she was cool, but this was the first time for me that, like you said, I understood the difference between her and Clark. I think that's what made it really special. It, it was also my editors in that book, which were Jamie Rich and Brittany Holter. I originally pitched the book, so uh, as, as I mean, it's obviously a, a ripoff of True Grip, but in a nice mm-hmm. way, like, you know, steal from the best. Um, right. And I had originally pitched it as like, I want to do a True Grip book. And True Grit, for people who don't know, I haven't seen either of the movies or read the book. It's it's one of the classic American novels. You should read the novel. Uh, but it's I mean it's a story of, of a girl whose father gets killed, and she and she hires a very gruff um, assassin to help her kill her father. And it's an old west story. Um, so there's a gruff assassin and 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 a, and an avengeful girl. And I had pitched it as a book with Lobo as the gruff assassin and Supergirl as kind of the naive. And it was my editors. Uh, Jamie and Brittany who were like, what if Supergirl is the, is the tough one and there's, and someone else is in the naive role. And that changed the whole dynamic of who she was because as mm-hmm. soon as they say, it was one of those things where you're pitching it. And as soon as they say it, you realize you're pitching the wrong thing. You should be and you're like, Oh yes, of course. That's much. And then, cause that's when Steve's thoughts like kicked in my head and I was like, right. Because she's seen shit. She's not a naive. She's not someone going into a tough situation for the first time. being like, I can't believe anyone would want revenge. I can't believe any, like she's been around the block. She's, She's been a superhero since she was 15 uh, and, and she's been through all this and she grew up in, 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 a, in a fascist place and then in a hellish place. I mean, she, she has enough to make her gruff. So that, that's when the whole sort of aspect of her and the whole series became clear. Uh, so, yeah, thanks to, to Brittany and Jamie. Awesome. We definitely rolled with it. And I think this is a huge breath of fresh air for the character. I loved getting to see her play in that space and make her own path for once. It was just, it was really great. And all the settings were so, so fantastic. I just, in terms of like sci-fi, did you have like any really big inspirations for like the settings and the places and the aliens that we saw along the way? Or did a lot of that just come from Bill Quiz? (laughs) I mean, a lot of it, the visual was all Bill Quiz. If you've ever read my scripts, they're so bare, you know, it'll be like the second issue where they're on the, the trowler or the bus. I was like, I was lit- I literally put uh, you know Supergirl sitting on a space bus, and so, so, so all of the all the details past space bus is all Bilkis. Um But yeah, I mean all all the different places kind of evolve from uh, different things. Uh, I mean the, the first universe I was really into. Um, I, I somehow got went down a, a, a rabbit hole and got really into Conan comics for a little while. I was reading old Roy Thomas Conan comics. And so, so the first is just is a, I, I, is, a, is a Conan. The second world, the bus that's taken from an old movie, um, an old an old Clark Gable movie. Um, what's it called? The you know, where he's 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 on a bus with 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 um, 
uh, Claudette Colbert the whole time. And, and then they go on a whole bus trip. So I, I stole that and made it to science fiction. Um, <laughs> the third one is just an old Twilight Zone episode, but as a comic book, the one where they're on the evil planet with the, uh, anyone who's seen the Twilight Zone will recognize that sort of plot. Uh, the four, the fourth one was my daughter's idea. I was like, I don't know where to go next. And she's like, well, dad, if there's a yellow sun planet and a red sun planet, what's a green sun planet look like? Um, and I was like, oh, green sun planet. Like it would be kryptonite planet. She'd be so weak. Um, and that, so that's why that planet's called Barrington. Cause my daughter's name is Claire and her nickname is Barrington. Um, Aww. so that's why that planet's called that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's, that's the first four. And the, the rest are kind of a spread out, especially the, 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 the issue where they go from planet to planet and there's like, you know, whatever, 12 planets in the issue. That's all Bilkis just flexing. Mm-hmm. She, she did the designs for all of that stuff. All the little aliens, all the little backgrounds, everything. It's just her, her, that, that's just her pencil and ink and, and, and Mateus Lopez bringing the colors. Oh, that's awesome. Your daughter is a genius. I thought that that kryptonite planet was some like golden age nugget that you just pulled out. And it's like, that's from, you know, like action comics two, two, three or something. And I'm like, I, I would believe it. So it felt like it, right? You know, that, yeah. that's, that's old, like, yeah, that's the oldest trick. Yeah. If there's a red and there's a yellow, there's got to be a green. That's how Jeff Johns made his whole career out of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you talked a little bit about Superman and Supergirl growing out of spending enough time with Batman. I can't help but laugh over the last few months as you've continued to write Batman after you were done <laughs> writing Batman. I'll never, you can never stop. <laughs> and so I guess my first question shifting into these sort of books is what are you gaining as a creator like what is tickling you creatively to continue to work with batman in these miniseries i mean just to be completely honest some of this stuff is kind of behind the scenes stuff i don't know if anybody cares about it um but the batman editor right now is ben abernathy who's also dc's executive editor and i just love him i love working with him i i think he's one of the fantastic editors he 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 edited you know um the whole widescreen evolution back in the early aughts you know authority and planetary and those things um so he's been around and he's seen everything and knows everything he's just a fantastic editor so in dc the way the way the sort of editing world is divided there's you know there's gotham because i mean obviously batman's such a huge seller and then there's superman and there's sort of everything else and so just i wanted to work with that editor and he controls batman so i ended up being like okay i'll do whatever batman project you guys want to do um so that's how mitch and i ended up on one bad day and that's how you know uh, marquez and i ended up on killing time it was just it was just me saying to ben I just like working with you and I, I, I feel like we can do great things together and him saying, okay, let's do that. That was after Ben started human target. That was our first book we worked on. I enjoyed so much working on that. I just wanted to work on more stuff with him. So I wish it was like an inspiring answer. Like, Oh, I have more to say about Gotham city and Batman. And, but I've never, I mean, I've said this over and over again and I never know if anyone believes me. Like, I don't really care what character I'm writing. I care more the team I'm working with. I care more mm-hmm. about the artist and the editor and the letterer, and um, uh, and that 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 means more to me than 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 who I'm actually than who I'm actually writing. I feel like every character is 
is is important just like every human being is important everyone has a story you know mm-hmm. even the worst villain has a story even even the most boring guy i mean the most boring guy in the world you meet that guy don't you want to know what the story of the most boring guy in the world is like even that guy you know that he must have a story or or let's say okay you're like well of course he's the most boring so that's cool what about the second most boring guy how how weird must it be to be the second most boring guy in the world like you couldn't be just a little more boring like that guy has a story too Gosh. so um so i i it's, to me, it's always it's 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 kind of behind the scenes stuff that dictates what I'm going to work on more more than me picking a character. I like that. Um, I guess with these mini series, then you get to work with a more distinct team than you did on your ongoing. So working on something like Batman Killing Time, where you have your established collaborators, how did that feel different for you as a project? Well, going back to Batman. Um, I feel like I've almost said everything I can say about Batman's character, like about how sad Batman is about this or Batman, you know, mm-hmm. being in love with Catwoman. And um, so the Batman stuff I'm doing in the future, which I think you saw on one, one bad day and killing time, Bat- Batcat was written, you know, in 2019. So it's, it, even though it's come out now, it was written a long time ago. Um, uh that stuff is like, okay, I'm no longer interested in Batman's inner life. I've done everything I can for Batman's inner life. I'm more interested in just kind of the myth of Batman and the power of this character. And that's why in Killing Time, since it's all told from the point of view of someone who doesn't know Batman's secret identity, um, you, you never see him interacting with Alfred. You never see him as Bruce. You never see him talking about his dead parents. It's all just go. It's all just on the road in, in action. Um, and same with One Bad Day. That's not sort of a psychological story about Batman that's more a psychological story about the Riddler. So, so th- that's why I'm more interested in Batman stories these days, more him as, as, as more of a, of a street level. What, what Mitch says is he's, he's like, he's, he's a myth. He's a, he's a myth. He's a monster that lives in Gotham. I'm, I'm more interested in, in the myth than the man. Now. I like that. That's, that's the perfect way to describe him. Um, I just, I have to ask this question because I love the way your stories are set up. There's usually a lot of a, a rhythm to them. It's like music. I see the pe- the parts that repeat, the parts that keep coming back, the important parts, the bridges that connect them. That's, it, it's always a joy to read your work. Reading through Batman and Catwoman was interesting for me because it's the first one of your books where it's like it felt like there were multiple things happening at once where you have the past, the present, and different parts of the future all going on at the same time. And I read the first issue. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to wait for all this to come out before I dive back into this because it's so much to juggle. How did you manage that from like a scripting perspective? How did you keep track of all these different through lines at the same time? I I don't know. It it wasn't so hard. I mean, I had, I mean, it's a rip. Like I said, I steal from a lot of people. I stole this from Jason Aaron. Mm And Jason Aaron had done it famously with his Thor run where he told three stories at, at the same time. And always, I thought that was so fucking cool. I just, sorry for the fucking. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I, I, and, and, and so when I, when I started on Batcat, I sort of knew, you know, this is the end of the Bat run. And I was thinking, I was like, what do people like about my Batman? You know, like, I know that there's a lot of things they hate. There's a lot of things they like. What do they like? And I was, I was like, they love that annual too, which I also love. Um, and I always thought that was like one of my, one of the best issues I wrote was like, okay, I finally kind of got really into the heart of this bat character. Um, and so I started with that issue where, where you were in the past. It was, it was right after Batman, they first kissed. And then it was like the future with the death. And that's when I got the deal. I was like, okay, so I'll tell the, I'll tell what happens after the annual in, in those two stories. And then I'll have a present day thing that goes 
forward and gets them married because they were always intended to get married. Um, and, uh, and, and so that's the sort of thing I juggling. It wasn't hard. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's easier, I think than anything, because once you're kind of writing a scene, if you're bored, you can switch to a different story. You know, <laughs> it, it really makes it easier to have three stories mm-hmm. to tell at once. than if you're just telling one straight story, um, like, uh, uh yeah, I'm trying to think of something that's, that's where it's just a straight story straight ahead. And I, I use little tricks like this, like, human target is one day at a time uh killing time is you know non-linear i use all these things to get around telling a story straight ahead um uh, i I guess danger street is a straight ahead story but has so many perspectives it doesn't feel that Mm -hmm. way i think to me one of the most compelling parts of your batman run and then it, it kind of unlocked it for all of me is that there's a romance at the center of so many of your stories yes i what do you find most compelling about romance as a genre to make it keep coming up in your work? I, I, I find that to me, a lot of the great genres or what I look back at a lot of the great genre stuff I loved as a kid, star Wars. Um, and even and my, my contemporaries are the same things. Uh, like when I think of star Wars, like what's, what's my favorite part of that? You know, the, the, um, solo and leia you know uh, i love you i know you know like that's that's a romance story right it's in the middle of a big space epic but i i find that to be more memorable than the death star showing up that i know line right like um in indiana jones the first indiana jones like i mean there's an incredibly cool scene but there's no scene cooler uh than him you know her kissing his scars as he sort of reveals like so i i and then you know i'm a huge old movie fan and i just i i find those movies are always built on sort of a romantic angle on, on, on some level. Um, so to me, just like, oh, I remember <laughs> it goes back to, 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 it goes back to a very specific moment of my childhood. Um, I was sixth grade. So I'm like 11, 12 years old. And um, I pick up, I don't know what it is. X factor in my head. It's X factor 40, maybe it's X factor 60 or something, but Scott proposes to Gene in that issue. And I remember running to school because I could not wait to talk to my one friend that might care about this being like, (laughs) Scott proposed to Gene. Can you believe this? Oh my God. And you know, him being like, what are, were there mutants in the book? You know, I'm just like, no, like, I don't know. It just hit me. Like, I was like, this is what makes, I don't know. I love, I love that sort of soap app. I've loved it since I was a little kid. I love people build, they build whole, you know, towers of opera, but at the heart of the opera, what really melts your Mm -hmm. heart is always some sort of romantic breaking or coming together. Um, I mean, freaking Homer knew that the Iliad's built around a, a, you know, a romance heartbreak, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and so is the Odyssey. I mean, it's been there since the very beginning. I mean, it's, it's as close as you can get to, a universal experience as just about anything else. Like most people, be it romantic love or just paternal love or friend love, like people want to feel love, right? They want to be loved. They want to share love. And I, I think you're right. I think it humanizes the characters in a way that few other things do. No, I mean, I, I, I listen to Top 40 Radio Station because I have a 13-year-old boy and a, and, and a 12-year-old girl at home. And... Uh, Every single song is, I mean, you know, in the seventies, it used to be like, you know, there'd be a storytelling song or a song about drugs. Every single song on our radio now is about falling in love or falling out of love or breaking love. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it's either that or it's, or it's, it's a hip hop or it's a TikTok trend. There's only like two kinds of songs that are left. Um, 
so yeah, I, I agree with you. It's 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 like the one universal that bonds us as we're sort of breaking apart. Is everyone knows you know what it's like to have a heartbreak and broken by some other person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, all the fun stuff. All the um, fun. Just a short sidetrack before we get back onto the Batman stuff because your your X Men story kind of inspired me. I need to. Do you remember what your first comic ever was? The first one you ever read. I very much do. Yes, I have it. I have the actual copy that was bought really? from the hand uh, within my reach right there. And I own four four pages of art for me. I'm slowly collecting them. Uh, but yeah, it's Avenger, it was Avengers 300, um, mm-hmm. which was written by Walt Simonson and drawn by John Buscema and inked by Tom Palmer. And uh, all three of those people, I think, would probably acknowledge it's not a very good comic. But I loved it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've talked to Walt about it. And he... he, yeah, he uh, but I love that comic. I got, you know, it was one of those classic, my mother was getting cigarettes and threw a comic at me out of guilt. And uh, I read it like this is a Bruder film. It's, 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 it's utterly wonderful. The best part was in the back they had, I think John Byrne drew them, but they had like head sketches of everyone who had been in Avengers and every single issue they had been. And mm-hmm. it was like, oh, I want to go into the bins and find all those issues. And <laughs> Why is there? Why is Giant Man appear in this one? But then he's called, you know, Yellow Jacket in this one. I was like, what's going on with this crazy character? And he's in the, um, so yeah, that was it was that was the opening salvo to me. Mm-hmm. Was Avengers, Avengers three hundred. Very very cool. I'm always a sucker for those stories. They're always always the best. I'm never disappointed. Um, <laughs> it was in the middle of the Inferno crossover, which is a crossover that makes no sense. Oh my gosh. Has- has 42 things and like half of them are demons and like mailboxes are eating people and uh and 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 for a young and you know whatever i was 10 years old at the time uh you know the whole like the 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 soap opera part of it where scott had left his wife and kid and she turned into an evil witch um and then but he hid from her and then yeah like it made no sense and i and i and i ate it all up. So it just, it just goes to show you, I know people like every comic is, you can't, we can, you know, everything it was, it was most convoluted, but I always thought, but the convolution was wonderful to me. Mm-hmm. I, I, it just made, it, it, it felt like a puzzle I needed to solve as a kid. I love that you keep coming back to the soap opera nature of comics because I was laughing at my dad over the course of the pandemic because he decided he was just going to watch soap operas all day. And I was like, you're a very like, burly, manly man. Like you're a man of the woods. That's always out there in stoic silence. And you love soap operas so much so that I was named after the soap opera Dallas. And oh, well, there you go. yeah, people was like, where'd the name come from? I was like, you're never going to believe this, the soap opera. And I see him. And he just went, have you ever heard yourself talk about those comic books that you read? And I was like, Oh no, he's right. I also love soap operas. I also oh. love all these crazy things. Evil twins. I know many. <laughs> oh my God. What was the most popular show for the last 10 years? It was fucking Game of Thrones. What was that about a soap opera with a few dragons thrown in? She's in love with her brother. Dun, dun, dun. You know, it's like, it's a... <laughs> you can't run from soap operas. They're at the heart of what we do. I mean, we, all want our... <laughs> we want our life to be a soap opera more than anything. I think. We do. Until we're actually in the soap opera and they're like, oh, god damn it. <laughs> we're at the breaks. Where's normal? Yeah. I don't want to be in the woods anymore. <laughs> Send me home. I'm all done with the soap opera. Oh my gosh. Um, so moving um, kind of 
out of the Batman books for a second. Um, I just wanted to know what if there, what if anything you could tell us about some of these upcoming books that were just announced last month? Because we know you're going to be having a part on the new Brave and the Bold coming out soon, and also the new Penguin book that um, you have coming. And just anything you want to say about those, or anything you can't say about those? Yeah, sure. I haven't talked about them a lot, so I'd be happy to. Um, yeah. uh, the uh, the Brave and the Bold is is Mitch and I following up One Bad Day. Um, and what we it's a it's 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 a Batman Joker story. I know that's a shocker that people would pair Batman with Joker, um, but uh, there's I, you know how sometimes you're like, man, this is a very original idea. Like like I don't know, um, Danger Street. That's a kind of an odd original idea, um, or Love Everlasting is a little is original. There's <laughs> nothing original in our story that Mitch and I are doing. I'm not going to sell it to you as 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 groundbreaking originality. It, it it is it is a Batman Joker story. It is it is a a story that's been told before. It's it's a story of sort of their their meeting for the first time. Lots and lots of people told uh, to me. I I, um, I I look at it as as like um as a modern as, as we're sampling something someone else has sampled before mm-hmm. uh, to make our own spin on it. And what what Mitch and I did after one bad date is 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 Mitch got really into into podcasts and into scary podcasts, and he challenged me. He's like, "Can you make a comic book that scares you?" And that was that was that was the challenge. He, he said, "Can can we?" Because we read a lot of comics, even horror comics, and they're kind of gross. You know, there's you know people sticking their uh, fingers through faces, but I'm never like scared of them. Like I'm never without music, without. There's just I don't know. Comics are not a scary medium because you flip to the back and there's an Eminem ad on the back, or they're used to be right. So like I don't. Uh, so Mitch put that challenge forward and we got comics scariest character, the Joker. And so we're going to try to scare you with a comic book. Um, like I said, it's nothing original. It's nothing you haven't seen before, mm-hmm. but um, it's just something it's, it's something you you've eaten done very, very well. Think of it as like you've eaten a hamburger. Now this is what a $50 hamburger is going to taste like. This is not McDonald's. This is the best we can do. So that, that it's got gold leaf on it and shit. Uh, so yeah, that that's, mm-hmm. that's brave and the bold. Um, hopefully what, what, you know, the, the goal is at the end that we can sort of put this Riddler and Joker in the same book. And this will be kind of like our dark Batman sort of little trade of, you know, sort of very, um, depressing Batman stories. No, but, but but like, like, I don't know what that is. It's not, it's not, it's not, but you know, like, like uh, down to earth there, there's nothing, he's not going to fall from the moon in this. This is very down to earth. Batman. A, a very, uh, there's nothing cosmic. There's nothing, anything. This is, this is just like, um, a serial killer meeting a detective is what that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that. And the, the penguin story, uh, we haven't done very much of it yet. So it's almost still theoretical. I have to write the first issue in two weeks. Um, but we have an artist and I should be posting some art pretty soon. And it's the, the way I pitched it or the, the way I did it was, was let's do the penguin. What if, you know, these guys always come Scorsese, Coppola, um, De Palma. These guys always complain about comic books. What if what would happen if they did a comic book? If, if they did a, a, a gangster comic book, if we did The Godfather or Goodfellas um, as, a, as a comic book in Gotham, a, a, a dirty 70s uh, gangster tale. And that's what that's what the Penguin's going to be. I like that. Yeah. No capes and, and a lot of betrayal. <laughs> I do always crack up 
I love those guys. I love their movies. I do crack up at them balking at the current genre fiction. I'm like, you guys all did the same genre too. Like, it's all <laughs> yeah, mob movies. One thing's called gangsters. One thing's called superheroes. I don't see the difference. It's all soap operas, like we said before. <laughs> exactly. I was like, it doesn't matter how you dress it up. It's the same stuff. That's exactly right. That's 100% on target. Um, I mean, speaking of on target, I have to talk about the human target. I oh my god what a transition you are a professional he will never do that again I never will I saw it and I was like whatever Batman questions you got left throw them away this is your time (laughs) to shine ask me more Batman (laughs) (laughs) um I'm a huge fan of the human target I love like you said the the structure with the 12 days and 12 issues Greg Smallwood is an incredible collaborator I think you two have really created magic with this and like we've talked throughout this the romance at the center is very compelling i think about the blue beetle issue and that the moments i was sold on the romance between these two characters so i guess my question is where does a book like the human target come from from you like what was going on to bring this book about it comes from a twitter joke which is so sad because twitter is now dying (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) It's, it's so depressing because mm-hmm. Twitter did give us some good back in the day. Um, and this literally came from a Twitter joke uh, when you could still joke on Twitter. My Twitter feed has gotten so boring. I apologize to anyone who reads it. I only I use it completely as a bulletin board now just to say buy my books because um, mm-hmm. I'm not so happy with everything that's going on there. Uh, but but back, back in the day when I had a more interesting Twitter feed, um, people would send me stuff like, what would you do with... Um, with this character, and I always made this joke of like they would just be looking out the window and crying. So someone said, "What would you do with the human target?" And I wrote a thing like, "Human target looks out the window, cries, gets shot, finish." You know, like and that and it was it wasn't even that good a joke. But but uh, but the editor Ben Abernathy talked before called me on the phone and he's like, "Hey, I read your Twitter feed. Do you want to do a human target book?" And <laughs> and uh, I thought he was joking, uh, so I said yes as a joke and. Um, and I just didn't think about it because I was so busy with other stuff and it just kept kind of, you know, tumbling forward. Uh, and I really did not take it all seriously. He's like, Hey, I think we have an artist. It's Greg Smallwood. I was like, yeah, Smallwood. Yeah. He's got some really great stuff. You know, I, I like this Archie cover he did. And, um, and then he sent me and he's like, do you have a pitch for it? And I threw, I, I, I rip off people all the time. I get apologies. I ripped off an old movie called DOA, um, which has the best plot of any movie of all time where a guy, a guy gets poisoned by nuclear radiation um edmund o'brien who's the most over-the-top actor of the 40s gets poisoned by nuclear radiation and he has to and he's going to die in one in 24 hours and he has to solve his mystery before he he has to solve his own death solve his own murder before he died um so i ripped that off put a superhero plan i said he's solving his own murder someone someone tried to kill lex and hit him and and that's what happened um, and then I needed suspects. And, uh, so, so my, my son, my youngest son, who's now eight is the biggest ice fan in the world. And he's always asking me everything I do. Why isn't ice in it? Uh, I don't know why he's ice, but that character really just appealed to him. Uh, so I, I said, okay, the suspects of the justice league international, just so I can put ice in the book and have him stop annoying me. And then I, again, did not take it seriously. Then Greg sent me the first page of the first cover, which is the cover of the first issue. And it just blew my mind. It, it, it was the total game changer where he sort of had this George Clooney-esque character in this cool-ass suit. And he had these sort of very absurd off-camera um, 
guns and, and, and knives being held to him, which were in the JLI. And that's when a series that I had not taken seriously, I was like, oh, oh, that's what this could be. This could be like a Soderbergh movie. This could be like Ocean's Eleven, but with superheroes. Um, and th- that's when it became something cool and something different. It was it was all about Greg and, and how he drew it. Um, and that, that's the story of that book is the story of Greg Smallwood drawing well. It's not the story of me writing well. When he, <sighs> speaking of Twitter before it started to smolder and burst into flames, when he did a thread about juxtaposing textures and line work from like the mid-century about this book it blew my mind looking especially at these last six issues just looking at the details and what he chooses to make sharp what he chooses to make blurry it's it's crazy like i love your script i love this story but i'm not gonna lie i pour over his artwork like nothing else in this book yeah uh, greg greg sends me he probably changes my, you know, my scripts are full scripts they're panel by panel. And he does, they're very small changes. Like you wouldn't even notice, but there's a lot of them where he'll add a panel here and it's always perfect. He's dead on every time. I, I almost hate it because I was like, Oh man, I wish he had written as well as he'd drawn it. Cause he always finds these little moments. Um, and I'll tell you the problem with working with Greg and it's, it's seriously a problem. You like, Oh, that's crazy. But like you in comics, you get a lettering draft back, which is like you write your script and they draw it and then they merge it together. And you see if your script matches their words. And also at that time, you can be like, oh, this comic's terrible. I have a chance to change the words and make it better. Um, Greg does such perfect emotions on people's faces that I can't change my words. Like he just matches. I, I, I was like, I, like the expression on their face, I can't change this if I'm like, oh, Ice needs to be angry here for a plot point. She doesn't look angry. She looks nervous. Like there's, that doesn't seem like a big difference in angry and nervous, but he draws nervous instead of angry. Like most people would merge those two things together. Like he's so spot on in, 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 in showing the character's inner thoughts through just like how they bite their lip um, or how they curl their, you know, play with their hair or something like that. Uh, it, it makes it very frustrating to letters. So geez, Greg, just draw a little worse is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I love it. The, one of my favorite things of this book is definitely the cast. I love getting to see the JLI again, um, writing all these different characters. Did you have like one that like really spoke to you and like one there's like, this is the best character to write or did you have, um, did you have fun writing all of them? I mean, they were all super incredibly fun to write. Uh, I've always loved Booster. I still think he's the most fun character to write in the DC universe. I write him wrong. I've apologized to Jan Jurgens in person for this. Uh, uh, Jurgens writes him much more competently than I do. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I write him as a guy who's always trying to do good and always kind of failing at it. Um, and and I just I, I I I got this from Justice League Action, the cartoon, which was on for a split second, and I love that cartoon. I so I know I write him wrong, but the way I write him wrong makes me so happy. Uh, and and so, yeah, writing Booster was incredibly fun. Um, uh, uh, I mean, I, each of them was more fun than I thought. Like, like Mar- Mar- uh, Martian Manhunter, you know, he's so boring and stolid. And I was like, what if he's secretly like really kinky? Like that, <laughs> like, <laughs> but like, but like a shame with it, ashamed of it. The way like conservative guys are kind of ashamed of their kink. I was like, oh, that's fun. That's, like that became fun. And then like, um, uh, you know, a B- B- uh, Blue Beetle is a boring character. Doesn't really have a defined not ted core ted core doesn't have really defined character he's just kind of you know superhero you know kind of a little maybe like a little nerdier 
uh, than Iron Man. Like, I don't know, but he doesn't. So just writing him as a guy that doesn't have a character, like that became interesting. And he like would not shut up because he's so just genuine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I love old noirs and I love old sexy noirs and writing fire as, as this kind of very sexy noir princess is just like, you know, uh, you, you just can't resist her. That was, I, I love doing that. And also like, she's playing, obviously playing like on six levels. Writing guy is the asshole I always thought he was there, and I, you know coming up is 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 a is a, a, a North Nort 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 is next yeah Nort and that's that was a blast writing Nort was a blast that's the next issue You're, it's, it's it's a lot of fun so yeah I know I enjoyed all I wish I if there was one I hated I don't know they were all fun. <laughs> I you know I, I, obviously I was t- again I was tired of writing Batman so Batman's not in the Batman issue so <laughs> there's the one I didn't want to write. <laughs> That ruled so Amen. hard. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, as the world's biggest Guy Gardner fan, I forgive you <laughs> for everything. I just revealed he's not dead. It was just re- uh, the spoilers. Just revealed. <laughs> just revealed. Oh, the amount of times I've sent Anne that panel of his head getting shattered. Every, is, every like five days. <laughs> I was like, what was that, Biff Tannen? What were you saying? Like, I, do, I feel bad for Guy Gardner fans. I know there are Guy Gardner stands out there, but I don't. Wh- why do you think the one punch happened? He was an asshole. That's his personality. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I get that, like you know, I, there's that incredible issue where he fights, you know, the red, you know, with the boxing match, and he's like the guy who won't give up, and he's too stupid to go down. He has a little bit of Ben Grimm in him, mm-hmm. um, but his original JLI version, the original version that got him oh, punched yeah. in the face, well, and it's not even his fault. He was in a bus accident and has brain damage. It's like it's he's he's just he's. There are, you know, there are a bunch of superheroes and one or two of them is going to be an asshole. That's the way the world works. Yep. <laughs> oh, love classic guy. I hate him, but I love him. I hated him so much as a kid. Oh, my God. Maybe that's probably part of it. Like, I would pick up Green Lantern books and every time he was in it, I was like, oh, no. Because I, I wanted, I wanted, you know, Hal and John. I wanted the good guys. Mm-hmm. And it'd be like, oh, who's this mm-hmm. goofball? Yeah. yeah. <sighs> I'm like, he got better eventually, but definitely took a couple decades. So, oh, always fun. I just love finding out that there are fans for characters I can't stand either. You know, because like, yeah. I can fix them. I was like, why do you want to? There's so many more <laughs> out there. I The other day, someone, you know, every once in a while, people get mad at me for um, destroying Adam Strange. And I was like... Name me an Adam Strange story you liked. What is the Adam Strange? At least Guy Gardner has, you know, he had his own series. Like, Adam, like, even the original, like, uh, uh, Gardner Fox stories are not good. They're beautifully drawn by Carmen Infantino, but they're not great. And, like, his reboot in the 80s where they tried to make him cool with that, which is, again, brilliant art by Andy Kubert. Um, he cheats on his wife, and he's, like, this, he's a horrible human being in that. And, you know, Jeff Lemire made him Canadian, which is its own crime. So, like, I, like when was when was your favorite run of Adam Strange? I don't, I don't know. But anyways. Sorry. I mean, earlier boring when man. you said, imagine a story about the most boring man on Earth, I said, you did it. I read Strange Adventures. I thought it was great. <laughs> like, yeah. He's, what has yeah. Adam Strange ever done? That's right. He's the most boring. Read those original, because I always, you know, go, like, with Supergirl, we were talking, I went back to her original origin story, the the, the the Bender origin story, which is, you know, she was on this planet, it got, you know, a piece of it got torn off, 
that became infected. More people died of cancer. That's all from her original story, her first appearance. I always go back to their original stuff. And you go back to the original Adam Strange. And just like you said, he's the most boring character of all time. Poor, I, I um, a Gardner Fox, who did so much for our industry, could not write character at all. He just, that was not like one of his pluses. He wrote, he wrote good plots and bad characters. God bless him. I I just Gardner I Fox slam. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> the heat. That'll be the tagline on this. That's what'll get the clicks. Yeah. Like Tom King slams Gardner Fox and our Twitter followers say, Who? <laughs> <laughs> Who? I'm 18. Please explain. <laughs> I am oh, 17 so old. years old and I go, oh no. <laughs> um Oh man! And do you have any more I questions? About has that? to be the reason Guy Gardner is named Guy Gardner. That's all we've got for Gardner. It has to be the. I, it's, it's so funny. So what do we need in this guy? Guy? Yes, perfect. Go with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a genius. <laughs> He's just a guy being a dude all the time. <laughs> what was it Adam Warlock's first name? Him? You know, there were sometimes they ran out of ideas. <laughs> Sometimes the script was due tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. like, the guy named Guy is staying that way. <laughs> guy and... meets him in the next Marvel DC crossover. <laughs> that's the amalgam uh... character. <laughs> guy him. Guy, guy him. him. Yeah. Um... Fox News picks it up. They're like, pronoun comics have gone Not out of control. <laughs> <laughs> DC Comics stomps all over Legacy of Green Lantern. <laughs> oh my gosh oh man um i've loved seeing human target coming out at the same time as gotham year one because they feel like such different takes on the noir story to me i know that you write your comics as one big piece was there any overlap for you in these books either thematically or just where you were at while you were writing or did they just happen to come out at the same time they're almost a year apart in terms of when I wrote them with uh, Human Target coming first. Human Target came before Supergirl, before Killing Time. Um, and I think it went Human Target, Supergirl, Killing Time, Love Everlasting. I mean, they're, yeah, there are quite a few. Um, I Recently, because of these, I've gotten under Hollywood deadlines, I've, I haven't been able to write like that. And it's a shame because that's the best way to write it when you just write it all at once. Um uh, but yeah, I mean, they, 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 they very much come out of, um, I mean, this guy, this is not going to appeal to any 17 year old listener. So I apologize again. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I went to dinner like four or five years ago, um, w- with some old dudes at a noir festival, including, um, Eddie Muller, who runs sort of the, the noir channel for the Turner classic movies. And they were talking about these old noirs in a way it was like, almost like, they were talking in French and I spoke English. Like I wanted, it was like, like I just wanted to learn the language. I was like, there's something, there's story here. There's something that I could use just as a storyteller. And so I took like a year of my life where I was like, I'm just going to learn what this is. Cause I, I knew people were mining it. Like Brubaker mines it, Bendis mines it. Like, but I'd never seen the original, like I'd never gone down in the cave myself. I just seen people come back with the material. So I was like, I'm going to go down in that cave. Um, and so I spent some time in the noir cave and, uh, and, and, and it, it, it gave me new perspectives on stuff. It gave me new ways into story. Um, it, it, uh, and so, yeah, both of these works are the most sort of pure version of, of them, but they're, you know, very 
even though they're both like these detective characters who have internal monologues, they're both, they're very different characters. Um, Human target is, is almost like, um, it, it's much cooler. It's, 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 it's almost like an underpinning of noir. It's, it's, it's modeled after an old noir called um, murder my sweet, which is almost making fun of the genre. Uh, but you know, year one is just the pure stuff. That's like, a Mickey Splay novel, a Raymond Chandler novel, a, a David Goodis novel, um, where this is, I mean, that that's a, a detective, you know, a, a beautiful girl comes to detective, gives him a mystery, and it all turns to hell. That's that's just pure noir, yeah, that stuff. But yeah, they, they were written like almost a year apart. That's cool. Um, I know Anne and I are both people that want to write. We both... We like mm-hmm. to write. We like story. And so you talk about- I don't about- have enough competition. Do you see the people <laughs> I have to go up against? You guys can try to take my job from me. First, it's the AI. Now this. I'm never going to make any 17-year-olds mad online. That is, that's my number <laughs> one goal. That's the key to a good story is writing what people expect. If that's one thing Twitter's taught me. Yes, perfect. That's all I do. <laughs> Um, you talk about going down to the mine for noir. You've talked a lot about referencing older movies. Where where do you go to draw your inspiration when you write? What is your process like when you write out these stories? Uh, it, it is a, a lot of... Um, I mean, it's always different for everything. But yeah, it, it, it usually starts with, with an old... I'm, I'm a huge old movie guy. That's why before I go... That's where... You know, when I was a kid, comics were my super passion that's like where i went to relax now i I rarely go to comics to relax i go there to work like i try to read as many comics as i can um but you know if i'm reading modern comics if they're really good i'm jealous if they're really bad i'm mad um when i'm reading older comics you know i'll get mad at gardner fox you've already seen you know it's, it's weird so like now my brain just if it wants to go someplace to relax it goes to old movies so i watch a lot of old movies and i do steal plots from there um I steal plots from my life. You're always better off writing about what you know and about something that's sort of inspiring you at that moment, you know, something mm-hmm. you're uh, uh, frustrated by. Um, I, I steal from modern TV shows. I, uh, if you guys read um, uh, Danger Street that just came out, you know, that that's very mm-hmm. much influenced by Fargo and Coen brother movies. Um, so uh, I, I talk to, you know, I, I talk to Josh Williamson once a week about stories and we're, we're working on, you know, I, I call, I happen to be friends with so many comic book people and their job is to write a story a week. You know, it's a bizarre industry where there's like 25 of us who just have to constantly generate ideas. I mean, now that I'm doing Hollywood stuff, like screenwriters can't believe what we stupid comic book writers have to do. Like they have to have two ideas a year. We have to have 50. <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, so it's, it, it, it just, it, it, it comes from every, every, every place all at once. And, and a lot, most of it comes from desperation. You're just like, there's, there's no time left to put something on the page. Yeah. I like that. No time to overthink it in comics. Oh yeah. That's what makes comics. Great. That's, that's why it's the best medium ever. You don't have time to overthink it. Yeah. You do, you do a novel, you, you know, start on novels, you write a novel, it gets edited for six months you, you edit it for six months. It takes another year to come out. You overthink every single sentence until you're changing it too much. You do a comic, you write it in a week, send it to your editor. They like it or don't like it. it, it you know, a hundred thousand people read it, uh, you know, three, three months later. It's crazy. And that's what makes it cool. It's like, it's like a, you know, it's a difference between a play and improv. We're, we're, we're vaudeville. We're an improv. We're, we're, it's, it's more authentic. It's more awesome. 
I like that. I think yeah. comics become such an interesting mode of like reporting on a time, you know, they start out in newspapers and they've sort of become a form of fictional newspaper where you will read along. And you're like, Oh, that was what was going on at that exact moment in a way that no other fiction does because there's such a long tail on them. Mm-hmm. Right. I can read a comic right now that is about what was happening three months ago. And like, I will be reading a comic three months from now that is about what's going on right now. Someone, someone came up to me at a con recently and, and asked me about this swamp thing story I did. Um, uh, which I won an Eisner for, so it was all right with 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 Jason Fabok, and it it was about Swamp Thing. And he's like, he's fighting a monster, but the monster turns out to be a little boy. Spoilers for an old story. Uh, and he's like, this was obviously a metaphor for something. What was it a metaphor for? And I literally could not remember. I was like, ah, oh, crap! I don't know. It was something to do with Trump, I think. I don't. It was. I, uh, I was, you know, I was looking at the date. I was like, what was I doing in 2017? <laughs> um, yeah, some, some comics are an immediate medium and you have to kind of move on real quick. Uh, speaking of moving on real quick, talking about what came out most recently, I went through Danger Street today and it is a wonderful, wonderful book. And I just have to know because it is the most random assortment of characters ever. I know you pulled them all from DC's... Um, first issue specials and how hard was it to find a narrative that linked all of these characters together? It it should be hard. Like even thinking back, like if I was to do it today, I'd be like, Oh, that sounds really hard. I wouldn't want to do it again. But at the time it was super easy. I don't know. It all came like, you know, it came within minutes where I was just like, I started, you know, I, I, I started with, um, uh, with lady cop where i was like okay lady cop is like w- that's the dumbest name of anyone ever why would anyone be lady i was like oh that's something like a 14 year old would call a cop to offend them i was like oh good i got some 14 year olds these dingbats i was like dingbats that's the dumbest thing never i was like yeah that's something a cop would call a bunch of 14 year olds i was like okay so they're interacting because they that's obviously where they're getting their names from so i started I was like they're living in a small town and they know each other and they have that they have that sort of cop teenager relationship and um and then I went to, uh, sorry, this is gonna take a while because there's so many of them. But <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I went to, you know, Creeper, and Creeper's origin story. If anyone doesn't know, is he was a he was a talk show host who got kicked off for telling too much of the truth. Um, you know, Steve Dicko was famously a very conservative guy. He was like an he was a Randian. Um, so I immediately was like, okay, so he's a conservative talk show host who gets kicked off and then goes to work for. A, some other network. I was like, Oh, he goes to work for a network. So a billionaire owns that. Oh, do I have any billion? Oh, I have kid billionaires. Okay. So they're kid billionaires and 14 year old with billions of dollars. That sounds very evil to me. So they will be evil billionaires. Um, <laughs> so like that, 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 that started there. And, um, and then billionaires will, and I wanted to put in um, like the coolest, all, all like great TV shows have the great uh, bodyguard. Who's like, cooler than cool so i was like okay so that the the, the green team of a cool bodyguard that'll be codename assassin and then someone will want to kill them so that'll be manhunter so that's kind of all tied together that way um and then you know i was like okay i have you know these these three kind of random superheroes starman warlord and metamorpho i was like that's they'll be a tr- they're all like kind of they're in the same level. They're those guys who never get into the justice league. They're the subs. Okay. So there are three guys that want to get into the justice league and are trying. 
was like, how do they get in? Uh, by, uh, they go and kill Darkseid. How would they ever do that? Well, they needed like a magic thing. Oh, and you have Dr. Fate's helmet. Okay, so they're trying to go Darkseid, Dr. Fate's helmet. Um, and so now Dr. Darkseid is new god, so I can cross them off. Now I've got like 90% of the guys. This is so easy, right? <laughs> uh, and then I was like, how do I connect all these things together? I was like, oh, who haven't I used? I haven't used Atlas. Okay, so when they go to get Darkseid, Atlas appears. And uh, and and he he he, he kills and he, he 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 attacks them and it's really brutal and he kills Metamorpho because Metamorpho is too hard to write so I get him off the board. Uh, sorry, spoilers for the issue. <laughs> and uh, uh, and then he and then they kill him because Atlas is too hard to write so I get him off the board. And then and then that th- because of that they accidentally kill a dingbat. So then if he kills a dingbat, then everything is connected. Then. The lady cop is connected through the dingbats, through the murder. It's a warlord who's connected. Oh, and of course, they have the helmet. So where'd they get the helmet from? They got the helmet from the billionaires. So that's connected to the billionaires. So then it's all connected. Then I was like, okay, where are the outsiders in this? I was like, well, usually people, conservative, are really like crazy about something. I was like, maybe they're crazy about the outsiders. So that's it. That's all 24 characters. Wow. I mean, that doesn't simple, take long. Simple. Simple. You know? It's just a walk through the park. Listen to that description. I was like, who wouldn't, you know, man, <laughs> naturally. I would just like to, <laughs> yeah, I would like to point out that right when you said that he killed Metamorpho, Dallas's screen froze and I saw his, excuse me, face for like a solid 10 seconds because we were talking right before you got on about how much he was hoping we'd see more Metamorpho in the story. <laughs> I picked this up like, I love Metamorpho. And this was the very first time I was like, Tom King is struck again. Like all those people that are always like, what did he do to Wally West? This is the very first time ever. I was like, Metamorpho? My man. Metamorpho is made of every element. He's, you know, he, I'm sure he'll, he, that's not the last we'll see of him. I, mean, come <laughs> I don't think, not, not, and also, you know, his, his, his arm is still out there. His, I don't know, mm-hmm. his arm is on the table of the green team. So there's part of Metamorpho is still alive. His, I his, was, his diamond arm. I'd love to see it just crawling around like the thing. That's how he stays for the rest of the story. That's the, rest, the whole rest of the story is just his arm walking around. You never know. You never, never know. know. Never know. It's Call it here, folks. I did. I want to touch a little bit on Lady Cop and the Dingbats. Mm-hmm. When their interactions were some of the most endearing parts to me at the beginning of this I didn't know any of these characters going into this comic book. And my, my little guy's coming to say hi. Hi. <laughs> I no, I just they were immediately endeared to me when it made me remember like my experience growing up in a semi small town and just leaving a party and one of my friends was recognized by the cop that was shutting the party down. We were all just like, What's the story behind that? And I just I'll never forget walking out and they're like, Hey you be good this time. We're like, what's all that about? And it just, it made me think of these dingbats. Um, I do. I want to ask though, coming into a character like lady cop in 2022, what do you as a storyteller do to kind of interact with a character who is so different now within the context of 2022 than she was in 1975 when she was written? Well, the good thing about that, I don't know if you've read the original Lady Cop issue. It has the worst title, but the actual issue is written by Bob Kaniger, um, who was never a good person, but was always trying to be a good person and was always mm-hmm. trying to write a little more. Mo- he did a terrible Wonder Woman that's terribly sexist. But 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 like he was always trying to write like Bob Kaniger wrote the famous um, 
Are You Curious Black story, you know, which is a horrible story. Uh, Lois Lane, people don't know it. But if you actually read that story, it's supposed to be anti-racism. Like that's like a typical Kenninger story. Like he's racist on the way to being trying to be anti-racist. And so a, 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 a lady cop is um, is sexist on the way to trying to be feminist. Uh, so, so there's stuff. It, the actual story is is, is about. Um, uh, it, it takes off from this real, was pro- most famous from Mad Men. But a real thing happened in the in the '60s where where a, um, a, a serial killer or a murderer went into a, a dorm room, a bunch of, of a bunch of women, and uh, one woman hit under the bench while he killed seven other women, and she sort of witnessed it and hid, and then he walked out, and the woman survived. Um, and so he made that the origin for Lady Cop as sort of this woman who had been under the bed and had seen a man do something so horrible. And so dedicated herself like the Punisher to sort of righting wrongs. And the whole issue is about people, you know, underestimating her because she's a woman and her actually kicking ass. So like there's, it, although it's 75 and although there's the sexist element and there's the romance to it, there is the undercurrent of her being like, because I'm a woman, I can be awesome. That is there. So I just had to sort of take that thread that Kaniger was doing, brush off all this, you know, you know, polish off all the old mildew that he threw on it, and 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 pull that through and and, and find what makes her awesome. That, that that was that was the key with Lady Cop. And it's drawn beautifully by by a guy named John Rosenberg. So at least we had. I mean, yeah. you've got that too. Jorge Fornes is crazy. Oh yeah, I mean that. This whole thing started with Jorge. Because we were looking for a project to do with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, you know, we, we had just done Rorschach. We had done my, my favorite Batman issue. And I was looking for the next thing. And um, and I knew this is going to be my last 12 issue series for years and years and years. Uh, so I want to do something big and ambitious, uh, but also grounded and weird. And because that's what Jorge does. He takes the ambitious and makes it grounded. And so that's a, but. But the problem was when I started writing it, I was like, sometimes you turn a script to a to a you know creator, and you're like, here, Mitch, here's you know, Mr. Miracle One. Half of the panels are black panels, and there's a whole black panel page. He's like, woohoo, you know. Um, but but like I, I was like, Jorge, there's 24 characters, and there's so many panels on every page. I'm so sorry to give you this script. <laughs> and uh, and he took it, you know, he 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 took it and made magic with it. So yeah, it's. It, this book is out of its world beautiful. I, I can't tell you just how, how clean the storytelling mm-hmm. is. It, it's, it's David Mazzucchelli level. It's beautiful. Oh, absolutely. I listened to an interview you did with Josh Flanagan over on iFanboy. And just hearing that there were people that did not love Jorge Fornes immediately was crazy to me. <laughs> there were totally lots insane. of people who didn't like him. Yeah, it was, it was insane. At the, at the time, it was insane. And we were yelling. It was it was ridiculous. We had to fight for him. And it's funny now because he does half of DC's covers. So apparently they found something in him late he liked. <laughs> just all of a sudden, they're like, wait, he's just like David Mazzucchelli, but positive this time. Yes. <laughs> he was Jorge. He's not the. I mean, he's 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 not a young man. He's not like you know twenty years old just out of college. He was literally you know. Uh, he's got he's got you know he's got older kids and uh, less than three years ago he was you know working. Um, fixing cars full-time he's like three years into his career it's insane that is so crazy oh my gosh that's an insane level of just natural talent wow yeah and now he's yeah one of the best of the business that's amazing he's he's uh he's on the ride i mean yeah and now he does half the covers and is doing brilliant work 
lucky to know him. He's, yeah. he's, a, he's a cool guy. I got to hang out with him in New York Comic Con. There, there's something in the water in Spain. They, they know they they know how to make artists out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, Ann. You go. No, no. You, you're you're still up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess thinking about your last collaboration with Jorge Fornes, there was a lot about comics creators in that Rorschach book, a lot about the history of comics that I found really appealing. Looking at something like DC's first annual, first issue special, are we going to be exploring the the creators behind these characters in the same way that you did then? Or is that not going to be a part of this book? I mean, there's a little bit of that. We're trying to match. We're trying. It was 50 years ago. So some of the, but some of the creators are still around. God bless. Um, so like one of the, the little things we're doing is for the, all the alt covers, we're trying to play tributes to the, to the originals. Um, so that's why in this, the, each issue is, is modeled after the issue it corresponds with in the first issue. So this first one was called Atlas, the great Atlas, the great obviously plays a key role in sort of connecting everything together. And that was a Kirby card. We can't get Kirby to, to come back, but we can get Steve Rude, who's one of the great Kirby interpreters of all time. So that's why Steve Rude did a cover. Um, you know, it's just announced that Ramona Freyden drew the original uh, um, Metamorpho issue for number three. So her, the Metamorpho issue has a, has a Ramona Freyden cover. Uh Walt Simonson drew Dr. Fate back 50 years ago. I've talked to Walt, so we're, we're going to do some cool stuff with that. Um, Mike Grell did the war, war, Warrior. Mike Grell's still around, so we're going to do some, Mike Grell's going to help us on the Warrior stuff. So every cover will be like that. Joe Kubert drew, drew a few of the covers. Andy's going to do some of the covers that his dad did, sort of a tribute to those. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's stuff like that that goes all the way along the line. That is so fun. I'm yeah. I'm really intrigued about the the fact that each of the titles is going to match up with the individual um, first special issues. So if people went back and looked at which titles, which is that giving them like a little hint about which what the focus of each chapter is going to be? Yes, but usually it's like a pivotal moment rather than the focus mm-hmm. of the whole thing. Okay, you, 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 yeah, you, usually that's what it is. It's kind of like that th- thematic thing comes forward the most. Yeah. Just, just like no one would read that first issue and say Atlas the Great was the focus of the issue, but he was kind mm-hmm. of the tur- the turning point. So yeah, I think Dean Bats of Danger Street is the second one, and Metamorpho is the third, and it, it all ends with. Um, so we, we did twelve. There's thirteen first issue specials, so we only did twelve issues, so we didn't get to the New Gods. Um, but I always felt the New Gods was kind of a cheat because that was kind of launching its own book with Jerry Connell and Don Newton. So we could leave mm-hmm. that that one off at the end. Um, yeah. So yeah, we we it it, it goes along that way. Yeah. Plus, you've given them plenty of attention before. They, it, you can go read Mister Miracle if you want more of that. That's true. But but there is a there is a lot of New Gods content in this. Okay. There's some High Father, some Dark Side, some Orion. I didn't leave them out. They're they're in there. They're coming. There's no Bard and Scott. I left Bard and Scott. I think enough Bard and Scott. Okay. Uh, I guess okay. they'll just have to fine. they'll just have to sit there in their perfect little twelve issues. You know. <laughs> <laughs> They're still out there. I'm trying to get an absolute made. That'll be good. Oh, that would be stunning. Um, I guess probably my last question for the evening, just looking at the body of work that you've put out from not only DC, but with your creator-owned work on Love Everlasting, which we didn't even touch on, but I've also adored. What do you feel like, do you feel like there's a thematic tie at all to what you've been working on? I know you've talked in the past about sort of phases of your work. How would you describe this phase? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 
I mean, I, if, if I look at all of my work all together, um, then I think in some ways the industry is kind of a culmination of a lot of things. Because I always say that John Hickman and I do the opposite thing in comics. Hickman um, takes these characters we thought we knew and, and turns them into gods. Like you read his writing and you feel like you're reading the Greek gods talking about humans way far below them. Um, and that, and, and, and that, that all these comic characters are all like just kind of, you know, blessed in ways we never understand. And, and I do the opposite. I take, I take the gods of comics and I smush them down to our planet um, and try to say that they're, they're all very much like us. Uh, oh, my dog's coming to say hi. She just got done with her walk. <laughs> Roxy, you okay? You're a good dog. Um, uh, and so I think that th- that's my sort of overall theme of everything is to say, I, I was, um, I, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it, I would say, you know, think of Steve Ditko. I'm the opposite of that. <laughs> like, like Steve Ditko felt that there were some people who knew what right and wrong is and that those people should be elevated to rule us all. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of, I, and, and to me, I just, the, the way I am, I, there's something fascist in that. There's something, there's if you say like this is right and that's that's wrong and you you don't leave room for human error and human ability and love and all that stuff um uh, then you 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 just get crushed um it it just eventually turns into oppression uh so i'm i'm the opposite i i i i believe you know um uh, we have to give the people you know give give the people the voice not sort of the elites and so that that that's i think the great theme of my book is just saying that we're all human and we all have flaws and we all have greatness potentially. That's it. I like that. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's great. Who knows? Tomorrow it'll all change. Who knows what goes on <laughs> I absolutely think it comes through. I think, I mean, not to gush at you, but there have been so many books of yours that I have no attachment to the character going in and I leave having a profound attachment to them because of how human they feel. Mm-hmm. I think I'm to a point where a book like Danger Street comes across my my desk, so to say, and I I don't bat an eye because I'm like I know I will love these characters by the end because I'll I'll find little bits of myself, of my friends, of my family, my loved ones in all of them. So I I do appreciate your approach to these comics a lot. Well, let me ask you: you you guys are you all right writers? What are you trying to? say like what as as writers what are you what are you guys trying to get at i am wrestling with a lot of thoughts on like what is the purpose of life right like i was i was raised in as a mormon in utah very religious and i have like mixed feelings about that now and i can't help but see it come out and like everything mm-hmm. I talk about, everything I read, everything. My best friend growing up was Mormon, so I always feel like I have just a little bit of Mormon in me that I spent so much time <laughs> at his house. Listen, so. we we trickle out for sure. You, mm-hmm. you you stay at our house too long, and you come away like five percent. But I just I was drilled into me these like existential questions, like where did you come from? Why are you here? Where are you going mm-hmm. after this life? And I was then gave pretty simple answers to them that made a lot of sense. And now as I'm moving into my adulthood, I like some of those answers, but I want more. And I find myself in my fiction exploring how I would fill out those questions. Mm-hmm. I love it. You I know? love it. I want to read that. Yeah. Thanks. And just my experience, just 
as a trans woman trying to figure out her way in the world, I'm finding a lot in what I'm trying to do, just a lot of self-acceptance and also just dealing with otherness and concepts like faith and just where do I fit in and how do I deal with a world that doesn't always feel that accepting and how do I change that? It's, it's one of the stories where it's like, how do I make people care? You know, I, I, that is so fucking compelling. I, 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 it gives me hope because like, I feel as I'm kind of at the end of this, I'm the last of my gen X generation, you know, I'm the Mm -hmm. last of sort of the, the Bendis Miller generation of comics. And, you know, our, our whole generation is like, oh, what is it like to be a sad man in a sad world? Like, and I love those kind of books, but I feel like th- the themes you all just talked about are that's that's what's going to come up and make comics better. But both of those things, I think, will will, will will speak to the 17 year olds more than my sad men looking out in the rain. So I, I, I cannot wait to read them. I, yeah, that's 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 a wonderful future. I, I, I hope we get there before the AI gets it. <laughs> Amen. Me too. I don't know how we have this much fiction about how robots are evil, and we're all like, gosh, we should play it out. We should see how it goes. <laughs> hey, if, like, those sci-fi guys have been right so many times. If like, the Terminator had a face app, we'd be done for. Yeah, we're <laughs> Game over. I don't want to know what the Terminator does on WhatsApp. You know? I don't, I don't need it. But here we are. They're like, no, but you don't understand. This robot that hates us, it can copy other people's art. Like, stop it now. It's just the T-1000. I swear to God. <laughs> oh, yeah, damn. Arnold Arnold tried to warn us, man. Yeah. I, re- I remember seeing Running Man as a kid and being like, man, we should not let a reality show host control our world. And then fucking we did. <laughs> I will never forget just the they let the guy from The Apprentice win moment. You know, like that was yeah. my exposure to that man. It's like The Apprentice, the celebrity apprentice. That's what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. He tells um, it like it is. No, this this AI stuff is crazy because I, for whatever reason, I rode the Terminator ride at Universal Studios before I ever saw the Terminator. And I remember thinking it was real. Like in my 10-year-old brain, I was like, these robots are real. And like this, <laughs> this is all absurd and we shouldn't be letting this happen. And I was like, even then, even then I knew. <laughs> Even a ten-year-old, you understood we should not be like. I, what I don't understand is I go outside and I see so many problems with the world, like like getting here and going through an hour and a half of traffic. You can't solve that problem before you solve. Let's draw for you. Come on, scientists, focus. <laughs> I saw this TikTok, and I promise we'll let you go in a minute. But they were like, people can't help but stop inventing buses and just public transit. Like every idea these geniuses come up with is like, so you mean a train? You mean a bus? <laughs> They're like, no, 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 no. If we do that, you're going to stop buying cars. <laughs> Forget what we just said. It all goes I back think... to singles. See, it's all Gen X thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I don't have any more questions. Um, I think the only other thing I would ask you before we go is, did you have an issue this year that came out that you're the most proud of? Or did you have a comic this year that's just like your most like standout comic, your favorite thing you read this year? My favorite comic I read, or issue I wrote, or issue um, the best thing I I, w- I was really proud of one bad day. I think that came out mm-hmm. real nice as a Batman story for a guy who's written a lot of Batman stories. Um, uh, I've uh, I don't know. 
it's hard to pick. I, oh, I, I really liked, um, we talked about it before, the, the Martian Manhunter ver- issue five of Human Target, mm-hmm. I think was probably the best thing I wrote all year. Um, I, I look at it now, I was like, how did I write this? I don't even understand. I must I yeah. must have been, I, I, I don't write drunk, but I was like, was I drunk? Like I couldn't, if someone asked me to write that today, that'd be way too hard. Um, so yeah, that, that, that sticks out for me. Um, comic book that I read that I thought was super transcendent. Um, what have I been, I just been reading old comics. Have I read anything new that like absolutely blew me away? Um, I mean, this is the dumbest answer, but Ram V's Layla star. I really liked, uh, that was mm-hmm. probably the, the, the comic that most blew me away. I read a bunch of, I took a, a week off and just read every image straight I could get. And I thought that was, that was the one I thought where I was like, Oh man, it's like Neil Gaiman came again, but his name is Ram V now. So um, yeah, that, 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 that stuck out to me. It's, it's something to be, that's something really special. Absolutely. Absolutely agreed. Uh, yeah. I so see. that's well, all I have. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time, Tom. Yeah. That was a blast. Thank you. My pleasure. It was, it was wonderful. Wonderful being here. You guys are just, and I, I say this again, I said it at the beginning, uh, uh, someday I'll tell you all the stories behind the scenes stuff, but really your support for Supergirl launched that book. I hundred percent believe that in my heart and, and, uh, and I'm eternally grateful. So you, you ever need anything, you've got a life debt from me. So just name it. I'll do whatever you want. Just tell me. Cause it, it, it that, that, you know, this has happened to me once before when I was on Omega, I was on Omega and it got canceled halfway through. It was very beginning of my career mm-hmm. and Twitter came in and, uh, and say, well, we love that book. And then Jim Lee called me. He's like, Oh, we're uncanceled. And it was like, you know, I went from not being a writer to being a writer in one day. Hmm. Um, and so this is, this is this, it was, this is a very similar experience. And it went my, and it turned out my buddy Hassan had sent the final tweet. So he always throws that in my face. Um, but, uh, uh, it, it just, it meant the absolute world to me how much you supported that book and put it out there. And, and, and now it's getting out to a, th- you know, you, you just started a, you, you, you threw a pebble down a, down a hill and it turned into all these boulders and I can't tell you much appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, so happy to do it. And thank you so much. This has been absolutely fantastic. All right. Do you have anything you want to plug before we say goodbye? I feel like we plugged so many different things. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple. Go to the comic store, buy some comics. Comic sales are down. For God's sakes, it's Christmas. Buy some gifts. <laughs> buy your loved ones Danger Street number one. Mm-hmm. Your mom buy and dad, they want it. They might Here's not know. Buy my comics. I'm fine. Buy any comics. <laughs> Just go out there and buy some wonderful comics that you love and give them as gifts. That's yeah. what I did. I was at Barnes and Noble today buying comics for my kids. So go go. I know I shouldn't. Go, I should have gone to a comic book store, but uh, they also wanted novels, so I bought a few. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So go out, go out and, and buy buy some comics, please. Yeah, plug right. that. I plug comics. What a freaking loser <laughs> thing to do. You here to hear, folks? Buy comics. Thanks, everybody, and goodbye. Bye. <laughs>